Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. It's so great that we, as um, a church together, if you're in a grow group, are going to get to study Jonah for a little while longer. But I'm really sad, in a sense, to close the series today, even though I've mostly been encouraged just by how bad Jonah usually is. He's supposed to be a prophet, but actually he's a total loss. Apart from saying if God could use Jonah, he could use anybody, I've found it hard to find anything really good to say about Jonah the moaner, the groaner, Jonah the loner, mostly because he never says anything good. He never says anything good about anybody. And until this week, that is, when the Holy Spirit spoke something into my heart when I was driving along in the car on the way to go and collect Zoe from work, and I just heard God inside, in a sense, ask me a question. And God asks a lot of questions. And uh, I'll come back to what that was at the end. And, And really, this book finishes with an unanswered question from God about what matters most. Quick review. In chapter one, Jonah was the prodigal prophet. When God called him somewhere and he ran off in the opposite direction. In chapter two, he was the praying prophet. When he's hit rock bottom, when he's under the sea and uh, in the belly of the fish, in lockdown, if you like, and he cries out to God. And then God answers him and turns him around and brings him in. Uh, the, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And in Jonah three, he's the preaching prophet, reluctantly, angrily bringing a message that he didn't even want to share with people that he didn't like, people he couldn't stand. And yet God brought a full-scale revival through just a few words that Jonah spoke to them. So yeah, God can use anyone. But then I start to think, really? Is that the way that I want my life to go? Is, Is it that the only way I would want God to be able to lead me would be reluctantly and kicking and screaming? Would it would be the only way that he could use me would be kind of despite me? I don't want that to be true. And I don't think you do either. See, people day one, as soon as Jonah started to speak, started to change. They started to cry out to God and ask for God to have mercy on them. But rather than celebrate what God was doing, Jonah then becomes, in chapter 4, the pouting prophet, angry that they might get mercy, not meteorites falling down on them. But then, the 40 days were not over yet. So in chapter 4 and verse 5, it says, So Jonah went out and he sat sulking, on the east side of the city. You can just imagine him there, sitting all glum and cross and fed up and angry about what's going on. There in the city. And he waited to see, it says, if anything would happen to the city. Anything bad, that is, because that's all that he wanted to happen in the city. And then the Lord arranged, it says, for a leafy plant to grow up quickly and spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head to shade him. This made him feel comfortable and very grateful. Finally, the only point in the story in which Jonah is smiling. He wasn't happy about the revival that came, but now he's ecstatic about a plant. Because of a plant, because now he feels like God's done something nice for me. Maybe God's on my side after all, because God's blessing me and life's going just the way I want it. He's got a plant. So now he can sit comfortly in, comfortably in his comfort zone and hopefully watch them get what's coming to them. 
But then verse 7 says this, but God prepared a worm. The next morning, the worm ate through the stem of the plant, so it withered away and died. End of the plant. Bible scholars have wondered what kind of plant it was. Well, that one was from Ikea. But I'll tell you, that plant is anything. It's everything in my life that I get comfortable in and that I make my security apart from God. Nothing else lasts. Think about it. The plant could be my job. It could be a role. It'll come and go. I've had various jobs and roles throughout my life. But it's funny, isn't it, how quickly we get so attached to them. And we say, I am a whatever, or I am the whatever. And then we start to identify with things, things that always change. It's so brave. I love Katie and George and their family. And I'm so I just courageous that they've led by example. You know, I think Katie's given us the, the best thing that anybody could teach their children in what she's doing. She's heard God and they're stepping out into the next thing that God is calling them into without a big security blanket, without a safety net, except knowing God's going to call us and God's going to use us. And they trust that God is going to provide. They haven't worked their own big plan out for what that will look like. What an incredible thing. Thank you. Thank you to them. Thank them for leading us so well by example in that way. Because all kinds of people, you know, I can give you an example by teaching, but it's the life and what they've done is an amazing thing. And I know, I'm convinced God's going to bless them abundantly for daring to believe that he will and that he can. Let's continue to pray for them. And let's thank God for that example that they've given. And they will, they will be blessed because they've heard God and now they're trusting him. And they're not just putting their trust in things that will come and things that will go. They've actually given, as I say, our children a really great picture of what faith actually looks like. Talking of plants, we've had church plants over the years. I actually went through yesterday and counted 14 major ways that we have moved or planted new sites in the last 10 years since we moved initially out of this building. And now it's all changed again. So I'll say, if people start to say, oh, I just wish we could go back, my answer is, back to what? Back to which? The fact is you can't go back. We can only move forward with God. But we love to get attached. We get attached to our own comfort. We get attached to what won't last, what can't last. We get attached to what we can't hold on to. This is a world where the worm wins. The plant could be money. Jesus said, don't store up your treasure here on the earth. Why? Because moth and rust are going to destroy it he said put treasure in heaven where that can't happen the plant could be people but people come and people go they come and they go I will go you will go too it's a world where the worms win and we have to wake up to that we have to wake up to that and then when we wake up to that we're gonna wake up to what matters most Whenever you see the word sent or prepared in Jonah, you know God's trying somehow to send something to wake him up. He sent the storm. That was the first wake-up call. Jonah is just snoozing and losing 
as he's cruising on the way to Tarshish and he's going further and further the wrong way. And then he ended up, he walks the plank and then God prepared a great fish. It says, wake up Jonah, wake up, but he's still not got it. So now God sends a worm and a wind and finally his word. Verse 8 says, then when the sun was hot, God ordered a scorching Sirocco wind to blow on Jonah. They call that, that desert wind the Sirocco. And the sun beat down upon his head until he grew faint and wished to die. He said, death is better than this. See, he thinks all the problems are out there. God wants him to look in here. Socrates says the, uning, the unexamined life is not worth living. So God's word now comes again with a question. Similar to the last time Jonah was saying, I'm fed up and I'm, I'm, so, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to give up. And God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? That was the question. See, that's the next verse. If that could move on, please. Jonah, see, God never asks a question because he doesn't know. He's trying to get Jonah to self-reflect as he sits there. Self-observation, not self-absorption, to be self-aware. See, what has he done? He's just done ministry. He's just had a very, very successful ministry, but he's done it without love. And if you remember from 1 Corinthians 13, God says that's useless. It's worthless to do, even to do great things, even do great things for God without love. Jonah felt sorry about himself, he felt sad about the plant, but he felt nothing. He felt nothing but hatred for the people, the prejudiced prophet. He finally is. It's revealed now. And it's all because he couldn't see the way that God saw. See, I hold this beach ball up. My friend Paul McGee, I mentioned last week in the Sumo book, uh, he talks about this great illustration to help us to understand the way I see life. You see, I look at this, this ball, and for me, it's red, white, and blue. I kind of feel all patriotic when I look at this ball, and I love the ball. But then for you, you don't see it the same. You don't see it the same as me, do you? And all I can do I can't maybe see it from your side, but I can understand maybe you're not wrong and I'm, and I'm right. Maybe, maybe that isn't the case. No, about who's right and wrong. The fact is, I can't see yet. Only God can see the whole picture. And God wants us to see the way he sees. We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. A woman meets a man and says, oh, Henry, I'm happy to see you, but how you've changed. You used to be so tall and now you're so short. You had beautiful blonde hair and now it's dark. You never used to wear glasses and now you wear glasses. You were so muscular and now you're so thin. What's happened to you, Henry? And the man says, I'm sorry, my name's not Henry. My name's John. And she says, oh, so you changed your name. That's a joke, by the way. I need the feedback. See, we don't see people. <laughs> Thank you, Hannah. See, we don't see people as they are. We see people as we are. And emotions get in the way of that. There are actually only two root emotions, fear and love. You're always going to act out, either out of fear or out of love. If you meet somebody angry, ask, what's the fear? 
What is it that they're afraid of? Why are they so afraid? God wants Jonah to ask himself, what's really going on inside of you, Jonah? Why are you so afraid? Because God doesn't just want to save Nineveh. He wants to save Jonah. We look at the world and we think the problem is with the world, but it's us, it's me. God's problem in Jonah was never the pagans. It's the prophet who's causing him all the problems. Like Jesus never had any trouble with the sinners. He felt right at home with them. He just loved them. The people who knew they were no better than anybody else. But all of his trouble came from the Pharisees, the people he called blind guides. They couldn't see. They wanted to point out things to other people, but they never took a look inside themselves. They thought they were the good guys. Why are you angry? Get in touch with what's going on inside. Get in touch with that negative feeling. There are other people who would go through the same thing as you're going through very differently. So why are you responding in this way? Why are you so angry? What's it telling you about you? And are you brave enough to be able to listen? What are you so scared of? Oh, well, it's just how I feel. God says, is it right? to feel like that. And you and me, we hate that, don't we? We don't like being told, no, it's just a feeling. Feelings aren't right or wrong. Well, if they weren't right or wrong, why would God say, is it right? Is it right for you to feel angry? And Jonah says this, yes, Jonah said. Yes, it is right. It is right for me to be angry enough to die. Next verse. Wow, you see, he loved that plant. It's really grown on him. He tied his life to a weed that sprung up and it had really grown on him and he defined his life by something that comes and goes. And when it went, there was nothing else. He lived his life for what could not last, but it had become the most important thing to him. It really mattered to him, but God wanted what mattered to God to matter most to Jonah, or at least a matter some to Jonah. Verse 10, then the Lord said, you feel sorry for yourself when your shelter is destroyed. Though you did no work to put it there, it came and died quickly. And why should I not feel sorry for a great city like Nineveh with 120,000 people in utter spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals? The other books of prophecy in the Bible tend to look at the prophecy. They look at the message. But Jonah really wants us to focus on the messenger because it's not what comes out of us that matters. It's what's going on inside of us. If God only cared about the minister ministry in, in Nineveh, we could have finished Jonah in chapter 3. But he gives us this extra chapter to show us he really wants to save the one person in Nineveh who didn't Get it. The messenger himself, the one working for him. Jesus told a story about a landowner who hired laborers and he got them to, to work from dawn until dusk to bring in the harvest. He just wanted the harvest to be brought in. And at the end of the day, he paid everybody the, the, the same, the, the agreed amount that he'd said. But what happened was some people started to complain because they started to compare. And when you start to compare, you start to compete. And then you just end up getting in this vicious circle of that. And somebody starts to get mad about the terms and conditions. 
And then in Matthew chapter 20, it says this, but he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Notice how God is always asking us questions. And again, he knows the answer. He wants you and me to know the answer. See, none of us actually ever did anything so good that we can say we deserve God's blessings any more than anybody else. Whatever I receive in this life is because he is good. It's because of the goodness of God that I've lived in. It's because he's so generous. I don't deserve a thing, but Jesus came and he died in my place to wash away my sins so that I could be part of his family forever. It's all mercy. It's all mercy. Giving to first fruits. I'm not really giving. I'm not, I'm giving back a fraction out of all that he's given to me. Just giving back a little bit because he's been so faithful to me. And I just want to be faithful today as he's faithful to me to keep on providing for me every day of my life. And, you know, I didn't earn it or deserve it. Did you ever hear, did you ever hear about somebody who won the lottery and then they go and they collect the big check or whatever and they give a little speech and they say, well, it's been tough, but I'm proud today to receive this award on behalf of all of the rest of the team and everybody else who's believed in me and we've all worked really hard in order to be able to get this. You'd be like, no, that's ridiculous. You didn't, you didn't earn this. You didn't do anything to deserve this. You were just lucky. And guess what? And this freaks some Christians out. The word blessed and the word lucky are the same in the Greek. You're blessed. You're blessed by God and you're lucky. It's a great thing that God's chosen you to bless you in this way. But it isn't any because of anything you deserved. The Israelites kind of forgot that during Jonah's time. And Jonah himself especially seemed to think that he forgot he got lucky. And so he got proud. He became proud of what he'd got. And now he only wants it for himself rather than see anybody else, especially the Ninevites, sharing the mercy of God. Remember, Love or fear, the two basic emotions. The workers are in fear. That leads to a scarcity mindset. They fear there won't be enough. If you get more, there won't be enough for me. And that spoils everything I've got. Their economy was always going to be shrinking because of that mindset. Some for you must mean less for me. But love grows the more it's shared. Totally different economy. Abundance thinking. Look inside. God asks, is it right for you to feel this way? Is it right for you to think the way that you do? Jonah, he asks him, is it right for you to be angry? He says, you didn't even plant the plant. You did nothing. It just came up. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But now it means so much to you. I just gave it you as a means to bless you. And you like the pleasant experience of sitting underneath its shade. And yeah, we like pleasant experiences, but then I sent the worm too, because actually we don't grow by pleasant experiences. Not really. We only grow through painful experiences. If you look back over your life, you're going to find that that's the case. It's the pain that helps us to grow in this life because we lose some attachment and we start to realize what really matters most. 
God asks questions all the time of people. He asked Adam, where are you? Not because he couldn't find him, but because Adam needs to know that he's lost. A young man got on board a train. He'd, he'd been traveling the world trying to find himself. And then soldiers boarded the train he was on and he asked the sleeping passengers to wake up. And then he asked them these questions. Where have you been? Why are you here? Where are you going? Where have you been with your gifts, with your skills and your talents that God has given you? What have you been using them for? Who have you been using them for? Who benefits from them? Why are you here? Why are you here? Why did God put you on this planet at this time? Now, did you ask him? When did you ask, ask him? When did you check in with him? Are you walking with God or running away out of step with him like Jonah was? And finally, where are you going in life? How will we make the most of the rest of this life that God has given us before we end up one day in only one of two destinations? Method actors ask a very important question so they can play their part. They say, what's my motivation? And you know what? In life, we're going to live out of one of three motivations that are going to drive your life. Which is it for you? The first is internal motivation. And that means what matters most to me is what's happening to me. We saw that last week in Jonah. Remember, Jonah could only talk about I and me and my, an internally motivated life. I'm reading this week a brilliant book by the former chief rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, called Morality. It was published just before he died in November. And he says, society, quote, was moved from the we society of we're all in this together to the I society of I'm free to be myself. It started in the 60s. And he says, the loss of community that resulted has had many consequences, one of which is social isolation, which has proved deeply damaging for our physical and psychological health. He wrote this book before COVID, by the way. And then he cites a study of the lyrics of top 10 pop songs between 1980 and 2007, which discovered that the use of first-person plural pronouns, we, us, our, they used to be in songs, that really declined. While first-person singular songs, I, me, mine, increased. At the same time, it says, words that expressed anger or aggression, hate, kill, damn also increased while words for social interactions in songs talking sharing become become less common as did those conveying positive emotions that's in our language just generally we're not speaking and we're not thinking as we anymore and us we're thinking about i that's an internal i culture when what matters most to me is what matters to me next external motivation that's when what matters most to me is what's happening in the world, in this world. And, and it's good. We should know what's going on. We should, we should, we've got to be aware of what's happening so we can genuinely care for people. But that can get twisted too. When I start externally motivated thinking about what people are thinking about me all of the time. And I live for likes. And when that happens, I'm like a Pharisee again. Because Jesus says, even if I pray or even if I give or if I help people, if I'm doing it to be noticed by other people, then I've already had my reward. The highest motivation in life is not internal and it's not external. The highest motivation in life is 
eternal. Eternal motivation is when what matters most to God is what matters most to me. And that's the work that he wants to do in our hearts today. In the bulletin email this week, there's a link to a great piece of history written by David King, which notes the final assets that were given to Ivy by its founder, Oliver Brockbank, have been put into that Cheadle-Hume project that we saw before after years of faithful stewardship of it by David and other trustees. Technically, the language would be the trust has been wound down. But guess what? The ministry goes on. His ministry goes on. I'm sure old Oliver Brockbank would be delighted, and here's why. If you don't know the story, he became a Christian at university when he went to Cambridge just as a young man. And then he built and paid for this place in 1899 when he was only 27 years of age. He gave his best for God. Then he gathered all the workers at the end of this uh, celebration. They had a week-long celebration and mission. And then he, he thanked them all and preached the gospel to them. And he gave every single one of the builders a Bible. And, he, and I've got one upstairs. It's to the decorator of Didsbury. And it says in it these words, build for eternity. That's what he'd written in each one of them. When he was 60, Oliver Brackbank didn't just think about himself. He didn't think about retirement and, and me and here and now. He thought about us and he thought about the future and he thought about eternities. And so he put a very substantial amount of his own personal money into something that would sit there as, as a legacy for future God's future work through Ivy, knowing that he wouldn't benefit from it. And it has given innumerable blessings over the years since. And as we put the last part of that into finishing off Cheadle Hume, the project there, the new building, as we've heard from Michelle, will be called the Brockbank Centre. And I love that. It's going to honour his legacy. That was, that was, it started 150 years after he was born. See, Oliver was a metal merchant, a very wise businessman. I encourage us all to learn from his advice and his example. His advice would be this to you and me. Since he came to know the Lord, he'd say, build for eternity. And he's still changing lives because that's what he believed and that's how he lived today. That's how he gave. He put away lots of treasure in heaven. His wisest investment where the worms won't win because of an eternal motivation. And leadership here at Ivy means that we want to go first in generosity like he did, which is why as we get ready in a few minutes to receive your first fruits offering, I want to say the elders and some of the staff have already given £14,000 because we want to build for eternity. And during the next song, which you'll be able to join in with, you can give too. And like Hannah said, we used to do it by dancing and, and holding envelopes and all that kind of stuff. You can dance in your house if you want. Nobody may, might even be looking. But maybe you want to do it on a device or by following the link. Or if, you, if you're a check person, I've written it as a check. And, uh, and you can request an envelope if you want and mail it in in the week. Or just go to the site and go, email the church and we'll be able to help you to do that. You can do it by post if you want. But however you do it, the Bible says, don't ever do it out of compulsion. The highest motivation is not internal. It's not external. It's eternal. Giving in a way that I'm not focused on the things that come and go. I want to care more about what lasts forever. People. God's love. The good news that he wants to save the world and he sent his only son into it 
to save people like you and me. Rick Warren says, measured against eternity, our time on earth is just a blink of an eye, but the consequences of it will last forever. See, Jonah was sleepwalking through life, and then God sent the worm and the wind and his word to ask the question, are you going to wake up to what matters most? What matters most to you? The tragic news of Susan's death, sudden death, it was a complete shock to me when I was told about it. The terrible toll of over 100,000 people passing away from COVID. What's it going to take to wake us up to how short this life is and what matters most to us and what matters most to the Lord? The time to act is now. We've only got this one life to make a difference. All the difference in the next Dr. Howard Thurman, who, who mentored Martin Luther King Jr. and was a great influence even on Gandhi, said this, The ideal situation for a man or woman to die is to have family members standing with them as they cross over. But imagine, if you will, being on your deathbed. And standing around your bed are the ghosts of the ideas, the abilities, the talents, the gifts, the dreams given to you by God. But you, for whatever reason, never pursued those dreams. You never did anything with those ideas. You never used those talents. You never used those gifts. You never took advantage of those opportunities. I don't know, you never wrote the book. You never solved the problem. Never left the legacy. Never went for that other job. I don't know what it is for you. But then he says this, and there they are, standing around your bed, looking at you before you take your last dying breath, looking at you with angry eyes, saying, we came to you and only you could have given us life. And now we must die with you forever. If you died today with all that God has invested in you, what dreams, what abilities, what invention, what, what leadership, what artwork would die with you? What abilities would be left unexpressed? What talents would pass away? What gifts would be buried with you forever? How much have you lived for others? How much have you lived for God, for what matters most to him? How much have you lived? See, if I live to be a 100, it's a blink compared with eternity, tick of the clock. But how I live now shows what matters most to me. And as I read God's final words to Jonah, I, f- I felt really sad when I came to the end of the book because it seemed to me like maybe Jonah never got it, never woke up in time because it's the last word is with God. But then as I was driving along, as I say, this voice inside of me that I recognize now to be the Holy Spirit just whispered to me, who wrote it? Who wrote the book? Whose name's on it? Jonah. And then I realized this is like his memoirs. And he's not doing what I'd have done. He's not sending back a message about the fabulous ministry trip and how God called me to go to Nineveh. And I went and I preached a brilliant message and the whole city became Christians and there was a revival and glory to God. (laughs) That's not the way it works. He's honest enough about how hard it's been for God to get him to wake up. How hard it's been for God to lead him and guide him and to stop thinking about himself all of the time. Which means he must have taken that inside look at what he was so angry about and what he was so fearful of. And he faced those fears and he thought about what matters most. Yes, he tried to wriggle off God's hook a few times. 
But in the end, I don't believe that Jonah was the one that got away. The God of mercy saved Jonah and he wrote it down. The Bible says these things are all written for our instruction. He wrote it down about fish and ships and worms and wind. And he wrote it all down, warts and all, so that today you and I could sit for a moment, for a few minutes, and look inside and invite the Lord and think about what matters most to us. So let's pray. And as I say, in a few moments, we have another chance to test what matters most to you and to me. When we come to first fruits, we get this with everything that we spend our money and our time on, but this kind of focuses a little more. And during this song, or if you're listening back to the link or watching this again in the week, yeah, you can give, but don't let this opportunity pass you by. Just take a moment. Don't get busy and distracted and focused on anything else. Don't start to think about everything else you could spend on time or money or focus. Lord, I just want to focus more on what matters most. Thank you, I can do that for a minute. Imagine the Lord asking you what matters most to you. What's your answer? Really? Lord, I don't need another plant. I've wasted so much on my own comfort. So many things that the wind blows away. The worm eats up. Lord, today I want to make an investment in something that lasts forever. In what matters most to you. Saving people because you love them. Just as your mercy has saved me. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.